Good morning and welcome to The Brecky Show. You're on Faith FM, Positively Different News. And this morning you are with Minnie and... Renee! You! Okay, mm-hmm. how are you feeling this morning, Renee? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling awake, alive, survived. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are quite nice. Are you thriving? Are you- I thrive. Hey, I there we that. go. Thrived. Anyway. Awake, alive, survive, thrive. <laughs> Get it done. Get it done. <laughs> you know, yesterday I um. Oh man, it got to like four thirty in the afternoon. I I could not keep my eyes awake. Like I literally couldn't. Yeah. I slept from like four thirty to eight thirty. Woke up for like an hour and a bit. Went back to bed at like ten and slept through to like five this morning. You. You were exhausted. Well, yesterday I woke up feeling tired. So today I woke up feeling good. Oh, good. Feeling refreshed. Yeah. Yeah. What are you thankful for today, Renee? What am I thankful for? Um, I'd say I'm thankful for bags. All the bags. I love bags. Laptop bag, book bag, eye bags. (laughs) (laughs) All the bags. I like putting stuff in my bags. I told you one time I loved containers. Oh, you did? I love bags. I just, I like... I like to put stuff into. I love what I'm learning about you, Renee. This is fantastic. No, no, no. I got you. But um, I just on my car walking into the office, I was like, huh. I'm grateful for all these bags that keep my stuff together. No, it's actually very handy. I love backpacks. Ah, like I love backpacks. So I don't have like handbags or you know I don't really have many other bags. I like handbags and stuff. I I just don't. I don't know. I've never really had them. It's it's not very because like you have a lot. It's it's not as effective as backpacks, right? So I get I get why you like backpacks. But even since I was like a kid, I would always say (laughs) I used to go to church with this backpack full of stuff, (laughs) like just everything just in case. So I always was the kid who had like spare like coloring in pencils or just (laughs) now like why do you bring them? I'm like in case we need. <laughs> in case I have an emergency coloring in moment. Absolutely. It's going to be necessary, right? Yeah, and then yeah. you'll be glad. And like- you'll be thankful. So you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And in news today, we have, we, we better do an update on coronavirus things. So for those of you who know, um, oh, I'm not even telling you yet, but I'm going to talk about New Zealand and the quarantine Ooh. bubble situation there. I'm also going to talk about home affairs that have been um, ordered to pay some compensation for breaching privacy of asylum seekers. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You're with Minnie and Renee. We've got some time for some positive news. Let me tell you what's happening in the world of positivity. Please do. Okay. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) I've emotionally prepared myself. (laughs) Excellent. You've got a smile on your face. That's what we want. So um, there is in, okay, so in remote outback uh, communities where you know, the summers are very hot and humid, mm. um, especially, you know, that's why most people stay on the coast because it's not as hot as compared to when you go inland in Australia. Yeah. Um, well, in areas where in more rural areas uh, in, for example, Western Australia's far north, the monsoonal rains can turn placid creeks into potentially deadly rapids in minutes, mm. putting the, re- the the children and the people who go there in danger if they go there to swim. Unfortunately, Aboriginal children are 14 times more likely to drown than non-Indigenous children in the state in Western Australia. But a push is underway to reduce these rates. The Royal Life Saving Western Australia, WA, has been working with these townships to increase the education and awareness around inland waterways through its River Ready initiative. Um, The... The uh, 
basically there's some stories that they tell about why this is so important. It's really important to educate the children and the communities around there about what water safety. Um, a resident in Warman, uh, Lolana Pinde, she's nine years old. She remembered the day that her older brother, Frank, was swept away by a fast flowing river, uh, fast flowing water two years ago. You know, they were excited about the first rain of the season and the teenager and his friends had been playing in Turkey Creek when he disappeared in the churning water. Mm. She says, um, Lolana says, when Frank got taken away from us in the floods, it was scary. Luckily, Frank was found hours later by his uncle clinging to a branch two kilometers downstream, but the many other children haven't been so fortunate as Frank has been. Over the past 10 years, more than half of uh, half of child drowning victims in Western Australia were Aboriginal. That's a massive amount. Fishing and swimming in two, uh, are two of Lolana's favorite activities, but her home is particularly vulnerable to flooding. So... Um, these there is about she Lolana and 12 other children from the Kimberley community are participating in river ready initiative in the river ready. That's a a whole moment. They're participating in the river ready initiative. Um, The program teaches children and parents about the common dangers of inland waterways, which isn't something I know. I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea about this until I read this article. Mm. That, um, you know, I know how to, I guess, swim in a bit. Be- you know, we learn about being safe at beaches. But how about these rivers that are safe during most times of the year? But when after a storm, you know, when these rivers turn into rapids, that's when it becomes very dangerous. And so the program is teaching and educating the community, the parents and the children um how to uh, be safe. The community pool manager at uh, Warman, uh, Steve Waterman, uh, it's ironic his last name, Waterman, that's cool, (laughs) has been showing Lolana and her friends how to safely enter the water and perform rescues. So he says that the Kimberley region has one of the highest drowning rates in the state. So programs like this are very important for local kids. We can save our kids by teaching them how to be water safe. The children have learned how to check for the depth for the water, use life jackets and call for help if someone is in trouble. Mr. Waterman has also taught the children how to huddle in the water to keep their body temperatures up in case they are swept downstream. And now Lolana has skills to help other community residents if they get in trouble. Uh, She says that if someone is in trouble, I can throw a rope and pull them in. So uh, they want to spread awareness for this issue and save children's lives by preventing, um, educating them and preventing, you know, a problem of in the future of them getting maybe drowning. And so I think that's a good thing that's happening, that program, the River, River Ready Initiative. That's I think that's so thing. good. Hey, like hmm. that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, in Australia, I know we have this, um, if you have a pool or something, you've got to fence it off, right? Yes. Yep. But I actually think that if you can learn to swim and learn how to, you know, if you do get caught in something, whether it's a pool or, you know, a river is a mm-hmm. totally different situation. As mm-hmm. you said, those floods come. I don't know if you did this as a kid, Renee, or any of you listeners, but any time it flooded, well, not flooded, but even just rain heaps near my house, it was always like, yeah, let's go play in it. Yes, yes. Always. Yeah. And we didn't have super rushy kind of rapidy things. Mm-hmm. 
to be honest, if we did, we probably would have tried. Yeah. Like just as kids, you're yes. not going, this is dangerous. You're like, ooh, it's fun. It's fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I remember my mum, uh, she grew up in Vanuatu, and I remember she used to tell me that their social nights used to be learning first aid with the local doctor. <laughs> and I'm like, how good is that? That something that's like fun time is yeah. also learning something that's really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I just think that's awesome to have that education system going. And that's a, that's a huge percentage more of deaths that are happening yes so that is something you want to look at and be like man how do we help how do we help? what can we educate in a actually really practical helpful useful way yeah mm. i always every time i hear about a new program that's being run or an initiative i i tend to roll my eyes i'm like oh here we go here we go <laughs> But this, this I'm like, I see, I find, I see it, I see it. I just, yeah. I, I see the, this is literally saving lives. Oh, 100%. So, and, and like you said, you know, when it rains, that's when I want to go to the beach for some reason. Oh, oh yes. I, I don't know why. No, I got you. nice, but it's not safe. It's not exactly the safest thing to do. So, yeah, get educated about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in more positive news, things are looking up for the first patient ever to receive an artificial cornea implant after he was able to see his family upon waking up. The 70 year old, 78, 70 year, what am I? 78? 78. 78 year old man. He, uh, this man could pass the classic eye exam of, of identifying numbers and letters from a distance. So, um, developed by an Israeli firm called Cornet, um, the implant, the K-Net implant actually merges with the natural human tissue meaning it can integrate directly with the eye wall and re- and replace scarred or damaged cornea through injury or disease wow. the surgery procedure was straightforward and the result exceeded their expectations um, more than 10 people were signed up to receive the implant um, Baha, the professor who is a director of the ophthalmology department in Rebin Medical Center, said the moment we took off the bandages, it was an emotional and significant moment. We are proud of being at the forefront of this exciting and meaningful project, will be un- which will undoubtedly impact the lives of millions. The cornea is a clear shield that protect- protects the frontal eye and it can be damaged or degenerate for many, many reasons. And so implants that already exist partially replace the cornea under such conditions, but surgeries are often more complex. So, um, yeah, this, this technology is really good to see. Um, he said there was many tears in the room when, um, you know, when this man received his sight again, um, I don't know. Imagine how thankful you'd be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because sight is one of those things you do kind of take for granted. Mm. And then when you don't have it, have it. it's yeah. the worst. Yeah. I remember once, speaking of the cornea, so, <laughs> little story time with Minnie. <laughs> so I, one time it was rainy and I decided I was going to roll down a hill because that was always fun when I was a kid. <laughs> I was about 19 and got down this hill, got up. I was like, man, my eye feels really annoying. Turns out I had got a grass seed stuck like nearly the whole way through, but not quite. Anyway. It was really sore, niggly, couldn't go to the work. Oh, went to work the next day, but it was really bothersome. So my dad picked me up from work because my mum was like, you have to go pick her up because she's not going to go to the doctors herself. They take me. The long story short is I had to like dig this thing out of my eye and give me like, you know, I had to, it was so much fun. I got to be like a pirate for a week. And I was like, (laughs) I was going in to volunteer at my auntie's classroom in a primary school. And they were like, what'd you do? And I was like, oh, (laughs) didn't eat my vegetables, you know, like, (laughs) but I just remember that first day, like just my one eye was in so much pain because I'd had to dig out this grass seed. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and it disaffected my whole body. I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. And it's just my eye. And I was like, just after a week of having this eye patch on one eye, I was just like, praise the Lord, I can see again. <laughs> so I can't imagine for this guy, just how amazing would that be to mm. actually have his sight restored in, you know. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. It's awesome. And more people who are, you know, who will be signing up for this, I mean, you know, getting this surgery as well. Exciting for them. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Small things, eh? But very significant. Exactly. Yeah. This is Soul Stirrers, Just Another Day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome welcome back to the Brecky Show. You're on Faith FM with Minnie and Renee this morning. And we're gonna have some just news now. We had some positively different news now. We're just going just to the news. <laughs> okay, so for those of you guys who are interested, we're gonna have some COVID news. Basically, I lived in New Zealand for a couple of years and desperately wanted to move back last year and COVID kind of stitched me up. My current well, one of my current housemates is from New Zealand and we were just talking last night about as soon as that border bubble whatever you want to call it opens she's gapping it back i'm gonna see if i can gap it back she has family there so she has more reason yeah anyway so this is some covid news i was like we need to know people we need to know but basically uh if you guys haven't heard new zealand has had a couple of new cases that tested positive there was a little bit of a bubble where new zealanders could come over here without having to quarantine um, but they're holding off. So they decided they were going to put in a seventy a seventy two hour pause on the one way travel bubble. Um, it's due to end today at th- uh, yeah at two pm. But we're gonna see. Mm. They've decided they're not gonna totally make the decision just yet. Um, because yeah, two people ha- had completed hotel isolation in New Zealand, and they've returned with positive um, results despite earlier twice testing negative. And so Australia's acting chief health officer, yes, chief chief health officer, if I can speak, <laughs> Michael Kidd said more information about the new cases were needed before a decision on travel arrangement would be made and that the situation is evolving rapidly. We will follow up the details of both of these cases within the New Zealand authorities once further details, including the results of additional testing, are known, he said. So the travel bubble was frozen after the... After the first New Zealand woman tested positive for the highly contagious South African strand of coronavirus, Jacinda Ardern has uh, rebuked Australia's decision to quarantine Kiwis over the the cases, um, and she says that she's conveyed her disappointment to Australian counterpart Scott Morrison, saying that the situation is well under control. Um, yes, but the uh, the the seventy two hour pause has been in place regardless. And, uh, yeah, she's previously outlined her hope to establish the Trans-Tasman bubble, which is the two-way quarantine-free travel between the countries by the end of March. We're going to see how that goes. Like, obviously, Australia has had a lot more cases than New Zealand has, Mm. uh, but I guess, yeah, there's a concern of bringing new strains strains over, Mm. etc. Australia has now not 10 consecutive days without a locally acquired case. Uh, but meanwhile, a new advertising campaign is being rolled out to encourage Australians to get coronavirus vaccines when that comes out. And the $24 million campaign will run across traditional and social media, providing information about safety 
efficiency and availability of the vaccines. And it details how vaccines will be rolled out to priority groups, including the elderly, disabled Australians and frontline workers. Apparently, dosage requirements are also explained. So we're just going to have to follow along, see what happens on that regard. Mm. Um, Hope it all goes well. I'm (laughs) selfishly, I admit, totally selfish desire, I want to get back to New Zealand. (laughs) Oh, I just want the option of travel again. Um, Actually, quick other story time i spoke to a really good friend the other day um got to facetime him and he was like Minnie, i really thought you would come back i was like i'm working on it buddy (laughs) i'm working on it (laughs) but okay in other news home affairs has been ordered to pay compensation after breaching the privacy of almost ten thousand asylum seekers uh so basically they released personal information of 9,251 detainees in immigration detention um The details were exposed in a massive data breach seven years ago. So it was a little while ago, but it's kind of a recent thing that they're getting, I guess, a bit of rap on the knuckles for. Um, The information commissioner has determined um, that they did interfere with the privacy of these immigration detention um, people. They mistakenly release their personal information and the the breach relates to unauthorised release of a detention report on the department's website in 2014. So it was on a website, so it was pretty – you could access it. Um, Scott Morrison has called the incident unacceptable and that the information was never intended to be in public domain. Hmm. Australian privacy regulator found the report contained embedded personal details that could identify all asylum seekers held in mainland detention and on Christmas Island. Christmas Island, we've spoken about this before, that has come up a few times just over the years and used being a bit of a problem area um, with poor treatment of people, etc. But, yeah, the information included names, gender, why they were being detained and where they were being detained. Uh, Commissioner Angela Falk said that the compensation for economic loss would be paid on a case-by-case basis. This matter is the first representative action where we have found compensation for non-economic loss payable to individuals affected by data breach. It recognises that loss of privacy or disclosure of personal information may impact individuals and depending on circumstances cause loss or damage. Um, so anyway, when people do step into what you feel as is your private space, you can feel really violated by it, yeah. even if it is just information, not you know your physical person. Mm. But when it's information that you're like, well, this is not for the world to have and you feel like people who don't have the right to it do, yeah, Yeah, that can be a terrible um, terrible feeling. But so the commissioner has said that compensation for those who could demonstrate loss or damage as a result of the data breach would range from $500 to more than $20,000. So that's a pretty significant difference Mm. um, there. And the regulator has created five categories for loss or damage. They'll be assessed depending on the severity of the impact. These will include anxiety, fear, pain, suffering, distress, humiliation or exacerbation of a mental health condition caused by the data breach. In a statement, a spokesperson for the Department of Home Affairs said it regrets that the unauthorized publication of personal information occurred. It has been working with the OAIC, I'm not exactly sure what that means because it's not specified in the article I was reading, but it's been working with them since 2014 to resolve the complaint and is committed to working uh, towards a final resolution. So obviously this is a few years on. It's taken them a while to get to this point, Mm. Um, but, yeah, they're going to see how it goes. 
Um, they've said that this data breach has placed exceptionally vulnerable groups at a greater risk by having personal information shared. And, yeah, so that's a bit of a situation that the government has to be accountable for, and as it should be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've spoken many times just in news sections or even in our Bible studies at times about how leadership does have a responsibility. Yeah. I am glad I'm personally not a leader of a country because <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility there. Uh, another quick story just is that Puerto Rico has declared state of emergency to combat what they're calling the evil of domestic violence against women. A um, state emergency. Mm. Wow. So one woman is killed every seven days in Puerto Rico what? with Latin America and the Caribbean among the most dangerous regions for women. Oh. I think you might have told a story just a little while ago about how Iran has been yeah. working against violence towards women yes. as well. Yeah, they, they're in the process of passing it. They passed a bill. They need to get it approved by the government. Yes, yeah. Mm. So it is good to see that people are kind of seeing that this is a problem. Oh, good, um, yeah. It's interesting, hey, like on one hand, I've heard many people talk about the fact that um, the world is becoming a mess and going downhill. On the other hand, I know people who are like, no, 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 we're getting better, we're getting better. I'm like, I do think we should be noticing these things, absolutely. Mm. I don't think we're getting better. No, (laughs) but it's in small things like this. Absolutely. That that makes it like at least, you know, not everything is lost. (laughs) Absolutely. And it still matters, you know. So these victims have suffered the consequences of systematic machismo, inequity, discrimination, lack of education, Mm. lack of guidance, and above all, lack of action. Mm. So they're working against that. Um, Yeah. So these small steps, they absolutely matter. And they particularly matter if you're the one who has suffered Mm. um, because of these things. Mm. You know, we need people who will stand up and fight for us when we can't fight for ourselves. Absolutely. We're going to move on with the show. This is Keith and Kristen Getty with O for A Closer Walk With God. You're on The Brecky Show. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. <laughs> Sorry, okay. And welcome back to the breakfast show, y'all, with Minnie and Renee. That was Kristen and Chris Keith. Whoopsie, uh, Getty. Oh, for a closer walk with God. An awesome song. Yeah, absolutely. We do have time for an interview. Woohoo! With and, our guest. Yes, and today is Blair Lemke. So, as you guys know, the radio is part of the Seventh Day Adventist Conference, and Blair works here. Is something to do with young adults? Yes. <laughs> Tell us more. So, who are you, Blair? Like, yeah. what, what does your Other work involve? Other than being involve? a young adult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am a young adult, although I did just turn thirty. In December, so Happy I. Happy birthday! Yes, thank you. I, I'm I, so sorry for your. Yes. Loss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, departing the twenties was a, a tough thing, but no, I think that you know I can still be cut class as a young I adult. Hundred percent. So. But look, I um yeah I I work with uh, at the the uh, conference here where where the show's filmed or uh, recorded, I should say. We're not filming anything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yes, and my role is the young adults director, so I get to work with. Uh, churches across uh, the regions that work uh, that work with young people. So I particularly target the ages of about 18 to 35 and, uh, yeah, just do a lot of different uh, training with local churches or running events for targeted at, at people in that age group. So it's a real great, fun job and, yeah, really love it. So, so just tell us, what are some of the things you have been coming across recently? Like just before we started, we were talking a little bit about cancer culture. We also were talking about young adults leaving church. Just, just take us where you will. Yeah, look, I, one of the great things about being able to work with young people is that uh, young people are a, a unique 
group of people mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, being in the, the category I suppose of young people yourselves you uh, you know you can relate to that um, but yeah there's there's a lot of unique challenges that you face when you work with young people as opposed to other generations mm-hmm. um, as it, as you know there are people that work in with children have you know unique challenges so mm-hmm. uh, as I work with young people I often come across you know some of the things that are unique challenges to that age group and uh, yeah, one of the things that I came across recently some uh, is actually an article in the the Daily Telegraph. It was um, some research that had been conducted by uh, Mark McCrindle, researcher in Australia, and uh, he yeah he was he conducted some research on cancel culture, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is a very hot topic in culture at large, yeah. and uh, con- conducted some research on c- cancel culture, but uh, particularly on how cancel culture uh, is affecting young people. And uh, as I was, uh, as I, you know, was reading through, uh, my eye, my attention always peaks when I see things that are related to young people because of the area of work that I am in. And um, I can in the article. It was uh, in this research. It was sharing that um, people aged under twenty-five or Generation Z uh, were seventy-seven percent likely to self-censor their opinions, um, and due to the fear, the fear of cancel culture, and uh, and it also brought out this statistic that seventy-nine percent of young people uh, said that they struggled to be their authentic self. Uh, and basically for fear of judgment or exclusion of, um, you know, what they might be. Those are big percentages. It's crazy, isn't it? So, And this was contrasted to older generations that uh, were less impacted by cancel culture Mm. and self-censorship. But uh, in essence, we have a whole group, a whole generation, Generation Z, a whole group of young people under the age of 25 uh, who the vast majority of which are involved in self-censoring themselves, mm. in stopping sharing what they believe about, um, you know, this includes religious beliefs. Um, it can include uh, other hot topics, things that, that are relevant uh, to Christian faith and culture. Um, you know, you can fill in the blank there, different um, uh, gender ideologies or whatever it might be. Um, hot topics, you know, BLM protests, whatever, you know, the, the news cycles, um, those things that uh, people are increasingly feeling, uh, I guess, a sense of nervousness about sharing their true feelings or true opinions or their authentic self. And uh, and such this such high percentage were saying that they they engaged in self censorship because of this reality, mm-hmm. and um, you know as I was reading through that it just absolutely floored me. Um, mm-hmm. It it does you know it's not at all it's not particularly surprising I suppose um, I've felt that myself mm-hmm. um, as a young person a a nervousness to share mm-hmm. uh, you know my Christian faith. Um, for fear of what it might be received or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, But though it wasn't particularly surprising, it's still quite (laughs) um, dramatic to see that sort of thing up front. And, um, yeah, um, I I, I suppose uh, it really highlights for us and for me as I work with young people, um, uh, it really is tied in. I see it connected very much so with, uh, with... Young people having a, a firm Christian identity, mm. um, you know, and knowing knowing who they are in Christ. Um, I think that, you know, uh, there's this very re- there's there's a very real reality in um, 
and I don't know if it's too early to to refer to um, to go to to a Bible verse or not, but <laughs> for go our for listeners, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, you know this this cancel culture idea and this idea of self censorship um, that young people are facing today in very high numbers, and uh, it's not really actually something that that's that's, that's new. Mm. Um, it's a phenomenon that's all the way throughout Scripture, and um, uh, you know we see it. Oh, there's a text in John chapter uh, 19. And John chapter 19, verse 38, and as I was reading through this data, it just came straight to my mind um, as I was thinking about it. It's a text um, here about Joseph of Arimathea, and Joseph of Arimathea was the man that took Jesus down from the cross Mm. uh, after he died and uh, laid him in his tomb. And uh, it was really uh, it says something pretty interesting. Let me read it for you. It says, um, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Uh, you know, we see Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. He was a follower of Jesus. Um, but what sort of a follower was he? In secret, yeah. He was a secret admirer. <laughs> you know, he was a fan, but it wasn't enough to be an open follower of Jesus for. Uh, and that text said it there. What was, what was the, um, why was he a secret admirer, according to that text there? Fear. For fear, fear, of, fear of the Jews. Yeah. It's fear of man. Yeah. Um, it's this idea of being afraid of what others will think around you, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> oh, fully. And I was just, just as I, I was listening to you speak about this, it's interesting because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but this idea of vulnerability has become a bit of a buzzword in church, out of church, wherever. Yep. Authenticity, yeah, vulnerability. Right? We're yep. seeing this need for this. And yet you cannot have that. If you can't be your authentic self, you cannot really have authentic relationship, which then goes creates so many other, I guess, problems in society. And it's that's a really interesting tension there because it's like, yes, we see the need for this. We need to be willing to be this, but can't be this. Have to, like, censor all of this. Isn't it, <laughs> isn't it a, a paradox? Yeah. Because we, we do have, in, our, in young generations, we do have a... a a desire for authenticity, mm. for authentic yeah. um, uh, vulnerability, but then that's mitigating against this mm. cancel culture at large in society and uh, that this self-censoring practice. And, um, yeah, I guess reflecting on that text as we see this idea of, um, you know, the fear of man, yes. um, I, I think as young people, or as I work with young people uh, and as I reflect on these statistics, um, my goal as I work with young people is to develop a caliber of young person that is not controlled by a fear of man. Mm. Um, this is this is something, you know, the, a fear of man is when we're more concerned with what others think around us mm. uh, than what God might think of something. And so we might um, censor something we truly believe about Scripture or whatever it might be. Um, for fear of man. But uh, one of the things that we see in Scripture all the way throughout is that um, that God actually calls to, for Christians and young people as well to have, instead of a fear of man, mm. calls young people to have a fear of God, uh, mm. to, be, to be more concerned with what God thinks uh, as their creator, as their, um, you know, all-loving God, uh, and to be more concerned with what God thinks than what uh, man thinks to have a fear of God, not a fear of man, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah, it's it's quite a quite a uh, contradict, or, you know, like a. Yeah. And it's interesting because God is the one who really sees us as we really are, in all that mess and right. good and dreams and 
fears, all the things. And fully still, known and fully loved. Yes. yes. And so it's like of all the people you would want, you know, to have, I don't know, their opinion matter to you. Correct. This is the one that it's like it actually changes your life. Correct. Yeah. And I think that um, where this all ties back into a sense of Christian identity is that I think uh, that as young people care or develop a fear of God, uh, develop a concern for what God thinks over what others think around mm-hmm. them in culture, uh, then uh, we, I think we would see some very different statistics to what we're seeing here um, because you know, there's this whole idea of not being uh, f- being afraid of being authentic, being afraid of being themselves. What you can actually fall into the trap of doing is when you're afraid to share what you really think, uh, when you're afraid to be who you re- you really are, to be your authentic self. Um, you basically you can you can fall into the trap of starting to think that your convictions, the things that you believe in Scripture, are bad and wrong mm. um, because mm. you're fi- you're afraid of uh, this judgment and all of these sorts of things. And so um, it's, you can see very quickly how this can create an environment where you're embarrassed or ashamed about your Christian identity because, you know, these things are not maybe received well yeah. um, in culture at large. And so I think, you know, as, we, as I work with young people and as I read the cultural moment mm-hmm. um, and look at, you know, just some of these statistics that um, have, are being shown and, and relevant in our, in our culture and our time, uh, I think that there is a a real need for our young people to be firm in their relationship with God, have a strong Christian identity, know who they are as a child of God, and develop uh, that godly fear of God uh, so that they will uh, be concerned supremely with what God uh, thinks of them and they'll be impervious to a fear of man and, um, and, and perhaps engage in less of that self-censorship um, and be uh, proud and, and, and um, willing to share their Christian convictions with their friends, their family, because they know that this is the thing that will uh, bring them joy, peace, security, identity into their lives. And even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable at times, um, and not always easy. Uh, it's something that they'll willingly engage in. And so, yeah, we, we have a challenge as we work with young people to, um, to this is a unique challenge to particularly um, try to, yeah, step our young people up in this area um, and come alongside them as well to support them. So I'm curious, we only have a couple minutes to go, but so this is obviously the work that you do. You know, you'd probably see a lot of young adults, just life journey. What does it look like or what has it looked like for you to kind of help people step up and support them you know so maybe someone's listening and they're the young person or there's someone who wants to be a support for that what can that look like for someone to go i know i should fear god yes but i'm actually far more concerned you know like because we can't really just change it just because we think we should correct yeah you know what does that look like what have you seen um yeah what has it looked like to kind of try to develop Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. I love that question. Yeah, look, there's a text in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, We all, beholding the glory of, of the Lord, are being changed into His image mm. from one degree of glory to another. And that text, to me, communicates the answer to that question. Uh, how do we grow? How do we uh, desire to, uh, you know, we can't change ourselves. When we see a problem, um, there's, you know, there's so many barriers in our way, but as we behold Christ, as we looked to Jesus, um, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. We're changed into His image, and it's just this idea of, um, you know, what you think about, what you spend your time uh, 
consuming, these are the things that influence you and these are the things that develop who you are and, and develop your character as a person. And so mm-hmm. to a young person who wants to, um, to grow in these areas, I would definitely encourage them uh, to, the one way to change is to behold Christ, to mm-hmm. spend time to, to getting to know the Jesus of Scripture. And as you do, this changing process is able to take place as God, you know, as um, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, as Jesus leads you, lives inside you, promises uh, to help you grow in these areas and when you see this change. So, yeah, I would say that. And the, one other very short challenge as well, I would say Scripture calls us not to do this in isolation, mm. um, to find a spiritual mentor or a friend, uh, reach out to Faith FM who can connect you with those sorts of people, a church community who will um, guide you and help you along the way uh, so that you're not on your own. Awesome. Thanks heaps, Blair. That was that was really good. I don't know if we've had you on here before. But oh, we'll have to do it again. This is We could keep going. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you guys are with Bricky Show, Faith FM, with Minnie Renee and today Blair Lemke. And this is Blair and Emily Lemke with Stand Up. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.